Thanks for joining us for another message from the City Church. We're a local church in Mississauga, Ontario, gathering in community as we move closer to Jesus. We hope this message from our special guest speaker encourages you wherever you're joining us from today. Come on. Thank you so much, City Church. It's good to be here. Hey, if you're happy to be in church today, why don't you put your hands together and give God some praise today? If you're watching online, wherever you are, why don't you put your hands together and thank God that we actually get to be in church today. You know, I am so excited that I get to be here today, that I get to preach here today. This is the first time I've preached anywhere that's not Slate Church, I think, in like eight months, at least, nine months. I don't know. Um, And so I just feel so privileged to be able to be here today, and I cannot wait to see what God is going to do in our midst. I really have faith that God is going to move this morning. I really have faith that no matter what your circumstance looks like today, no matter what your week has looked like, I really believe that God wants to speak to you this morning. So let's lean in. Let's bring our faith. Let's bring expectation for what God can and what God is going to do. And I believe he's going to move. Whether we're here, whether we're online, whether you're watching this right now on Sunday morning, whether you're watching it later in the week, whenever it might be, God wants to move in your life. Let's not limit what God can do because we don't have the faith for it. So let's lean in this morning. It's going to be an awesome morning in church or whenever you're watching this. And I am really excited. But before I go any further, I do just need to give some honor where honor is due. Because the truth is that every time I come here to the city church, I feel like I'm coming home. It's like the greatest feeling. I come and I am so blessed every time I come here. I love it. It's amazing. And really, I know that that culture and that temperature is set by your lead pastors here. And I got to take a minute and say, Brent and Nicole, we love you guys so much. We are so thankful for you. Honestly, from myself and Victoria and Brandon and Emma, we're so thankful for you. We talk about you guys all the time. We talk about how awesome you are and how thankful we are for you. We're thankful for the example that you set for us uh, of what it looks like to, to be in ministry, to pastor, to preach, and also live out what you preach. And so we're just so thankful for you. So, hey, can we just put our hands together once more for your pastors? Amen. All right, well, hey, we're going to get into the Word today. And so if you've got a Bible with you, why don't you turn with me to Joshua 14, verse 10. We're going to read verse 10 to 12, and uh, this is going to help just kind of set up what we're talking about today. I'll contextualize it a little bit later, and, uh, and we're going to get into this. But just so that you know, uh, talking right now is actually a man named Caleb, and we don't talk a lot about Caleb uh, in the Old Testament, but I really think there are some things that we can learn from his life and apply to our situation today that really is going to change things for us. So Joshua 14, verse 10 says this, now then... Just as the Lord promised, he has kept me alive for 45 years since the time he said this to Moses while Israel moved about in the wilderness. So here I am today, 85 years old. I am still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I'm just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then. Verse 12, now give me this hill country that the Lord promised me that day. You yourself heard Then that the Anakites were there and their cities were large and fortified, but the Lord helping me, I will drive them out just as he said. Hey, if you're taking notes today, you can go ahead and you can title this message, Give Me the Hill Country. Why don't you write that down? Why don't you turn to your neighbor and tell him, give me the hill country. Let him know. Hey, why don't we pray and we're going to get into this. Lord, we just thank you so much for who you are. We thank you for your goodness. 
We thank you that you are with us. And Father, I just pray that you would, that you would speak today. Speak through my words and, and use me to communicate your word today. We love you, Lord. In your mighty name we pray. And everybody said, amen, amen. Well, how many people know that in any dating relationship, there are various mountains that must be conquered on the way to marriage. You know what I'm talking about? Like, uh, for instance, there is the making it official. You know what I mean? Like, you got to make it official. We're boyfriend and girlfriend. There's the mountain of the first kiss, which is always awkward, right? Like, I remember, like, trying, trying to think, like, before my first kiss with Victoria, like, which way do I turn my head, right? It was always strange. Um, there is, of course, the, uh, the first I love you. There is the proposal. And then there is the mountain that must be conquered that is meeting your future in-laws. Now, Victoria and I, we started dating when we were in Sydney, Australia, when we were there uh, going to Bible college. And I remember Victoria's from Sweden. We started dating. And about three weeks after we started dating, Victoria told me, my parents are coming to visit. And I was like, this timing seems a little bit weird to me. Like, was this trip booked before we started dating? Or did I have something to do with this? What's going on here? And anyways, the parents were flying in. And I was like, this is no problem, right? Like, I'm a mother-in-law's dream, okay, is what I was thinking. This is going to be easy, all right? Yeah, it's a mountain to climb, but no worries. This is going to be fine. Easy. Uh, that's what I was thinking. Um, I, I'm sure that they were thinking, okay, our daughter is the entire way across the world, and she's dating some random guy from Canada. We have no idea who he is. We got to go check this out. And so the day arrived when I was going to meet her parents for the very first time. And I remember I was meeting her mom first. Uh, her dad and her brother, they were out doing something else, and I was going to meet her mom. And so I drove over to Victoria's house to meet her mom there. And I will never forget the very first interaction we had because I kid you not, I went into Victoria's room. Her mom was there. She stood up. She shook out her hand. She greeted me. And then this is what she said to me. She said, I hope you like what you see because this is Victoria in 30 years. <laughs> I mean, how do I answer that? I can't say, no, I don't like what I see. I definitely can't say, yeah, I like what I see. And so, honestly, I didn't say anything, and I was just like, this is really awkward. And fortunately, it got better as I went and met her dad. Things were easier there. The worst thing that happened there is he told me he thought I looked like Boy George. And if you know who Boy George is, that was not a look I was going for at the time. Okay, and so, anyways, Victoria was not very impressed, not very happy. Thank God, though, I conquered that mountain. I planted my flag on the top of it. I got the approval from the parents, and here we are a decade later to this week, actually. I was just looking at that. A decade later this week, still around. And, um, you know, I'm so thankful for Victoria's parents. They're pastors in Sweden, and, uh, you, you know, they mean so much to me. I wouldn't be the person that I am today if it were not for them. But I'll tell you what, on that first day, I was sweating, okay? It was, it was crazy. But again, I conquered that mountain. I got over it. And isn't it funny how we use mountains as metaphors so often uh, for things that are difficult in life? We use a mountain. We, we, we talk about, oh, I, I got to conquer this mountain when something is hard. And, and that's because a mountain really is an immovable thing that is in front of us. Anybody who's been to any kind of mountain knows that a mountain is actually it seems it's huge. It's immense. It's immovable. How are we going to possibly get through it, get over it? It's a good metaphor. And I wonder today how many people are here. And if you got honest with yourself, you would say that there are some mountains that are standing in front of you right now in your life, and you don't know how you're going to get over it. You don't know what it's going to be. Maybe there's a mountain of insecurity in front of you. Maybe there's a mountain of fear in front of you. 
Maybe there's a mountain of anxiety in front of you. Maybe there's a mountain of debt that's in front of you. Maybe there's a mountain of I don't know what it might be that is in front of you today. But perhaps you're here and there is a mountain in front of you. Maybe uh, if you're anything like me, you just feel that this entire year, 2020, you have been mountain climbing and it feels like you're not getting anywhere and you don't know what's going on and you're worried about what will be. And, you know, we've just been navigating this global pandemic together and uh, it's like, what's going to happen in the future? We don't know. We're a little bit worried uh, about what it could be. And you just feel like there, there's this mountain, this rough terrain, this hill country that is standing in front of you and you don't know what you're going to do. I think today we can all take some notes from the life of Caleb, who we read about earlier, because when he sees difficulty and challenge ahead of him, when he sees the mountain, the obstacle that is in front of him, he doesn't back down. Instead, full of faith and certain that God is greater than the struggle, he declares, give me the hill country that the Lord promised me on that day. See, again, when we're reading this, Caleb is 85 years old. He's an old man. But he still has this incredible faith. He's got this amazing vitality about him. And, and we can read that great faith uh, really is a hallmark of Caleb's entire life. Because 45 years prior to this, the nation of Israel had just escaped from slavery in Egypt. And now the entire nation was en route to the promised land that God had promised to give them. But this land was still occupied by all of these different people groups that would have to be defeated in order for Israel to go in and occupy the land. And now, God had spoken that the land would be theirs. That was the promise. Moses sent 12 spies into the land to scope things out and see what it was like and to develop a strategy going forward. And they went into the land and they came back and they said, listen, this is the greatest place on earth. It is a paradise. It is amazing there. It is a land. It is flowing with milk and honey. It is the best place that there possibly is. Sounds a little bit like Waterloo, Ontario to me. And uh, they're saying it's just so incredible. But then they said there's a problem. Because the people that live there, they're way too powerful for us. Uh, in fact, as we stand next to them, we, we, feel, like grass, we, we feel like grasshoppers in, in comparison. They're like giants there. And this is what all the spies said as they reported it back. All the spies except for two, one named Joshua and one named Caleb. At this point, Caleb is 40 years old. He's much younger. And he says, no, no, we can do this. <laughs> You know, all you, you're saying that we can't do this. We can do this. God is with us. I believe we can do this. Numbers 13, 30. Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of the land for we can certainly do it. I love that line. We can certainly do it. Caleb was certain. He had this great faith that God was with them and that what God had promised, he would be faithful to complete it. He was certain of it. Caleb was up for the challenge. He was ready to do whatever it took to be obedient to God and God's direction. But the others didn't believe. And because of their lack of faith, they had to spend the next 40 years wandering about in the wilderness. And I don't know about you, but I read this and I realize that it gives me today an option. See, I can choose to be like the majority of the people and be afraid and not trust in God. 
Or I can choose to have a faith that is similar to the faith of Caleb. One that says, I believe God can. I believe he has promised me this. And I'm going to put my faith and my trust in him. I am certain of it. I know that even before the battle is fought, that God is on my side. I know that while the battle is raging around me, that God is with me in it. And I know that I will not be overcome. Because I know that scripture says that if he is for me, then who can be against me? This is the kind of faith, I don't know about you, that I want to live my life with every single day. You know, faith is an incredible life giver. 12 spies went out, 12 returned, but only two had faith. 45 years later, Caleb was still as faith-filled as ever. Even at 85 years old, he knew that his best days were not behind him. He was still eager to step into the promise that God had for him. What happened to the other 10 spies? None of them made it. None of them actually were able to step in to the promised land. Let's be faith-filled people. The kind of people who say, God, Give me the hill country. You know, the hill country is hard terrain. The hill country is not easy to navigate. It is a challenge ahead. The hill country is a mountain that might be standing in front of you. But I want to encourage you today to ask God for the hill country, knowing that his purpose is greater than the obstacle. Caleb was up for the challenge. He asked for the hardest enemy the most difficult territory. He would have to face the Anakites who were written about when the people said, we saw their descendants, that we seem like grasshoppers next to them. But this didn't bother Caleb because Caleb knew that God was bigger. Caleb, 85 years old, he was up for the challenge. He asked God for a challenge. You know, 85 years old, you'd think he'd be asking God for a condo in Fort Lauderdale or something. But no, he knew that God was not finished with him yet. You know, a lot of times in life, we really wish that God would just remove the problem, that he would just take the struggle away, don't we? Like, God, just remove it. Just get rid of it for me. But perhaps today, instead of asking God to remove the problem, we actually need to develop a faith that says, I know that God will be with me even in the midst of the problem. We got to remember these same people, the Israelites, they had just been chased down by the Egyptians, and they came up against the problem of the Red Sea that was blocking their way. And guess what? God didn't remove the Red Sea. He opened it. Just because God hasn't removed your problem doesn't mean that he's not going to provide a way through your problem. Whoever you are, wherever you are on your journey of faith, I really believe today that God wants to make you a threat to sin, to darkness, to injustice, to any apathy and complacency and all of these other things that keeps our world from flourishing. But you got to ask for the hill country. you got to face the challenge ahead. And I really believe that as you do, and as you maintain a faith that God is in control, that a few different things are going to be revealed in your life. And the first is this. I really believe that the hill country will reveal what you're made of. It'll reveal what you're made of. You know, it's amazing how a challenge or a mountain in our life will reveal who we really are. It will reveal what we're made of, and the, the we that we are when nobody else is watching. You know, not just the we that we are when everybody sees us, but who we are when we're not posting on social media. Who we are when, uh, you know, it's kind of that shadow side of ourselves that nobody sees, that we try and hide away. We even try and hide it away from ourselves, and we don't want to even admit that that's maybe who we are. We try and hide it away from God. There is this, uh, this perhaps, this side of yourself that it's like nobody else knows about. Who are you when things don't go according to plan in your life? Who are you when, when, when the pressures of life start to build up? You know, I love that in Scripture we can see who Caleb was. 
Because in Numbers 14, verse 24, God's speaking about Caleb. He says, but because my servant Caleb had a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I will bring him into the land he went to. He had a different spirit. You know, I love that Caleb had a different spirit, a spirit that was different than anyone else. It was not a spirit of fear. It was a spirit of faith. Caleb had the kind of spirit written about in 2 Timothy 1.7 that says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And because he had this different spirit, he was able to step in to all the promises of God for his life. You know, when I interact with others, I really hope that they say, there is something different about Luke. What is it? There's something different. When I'm sitting at a cafe and I'm interacting with the barista or something, I want them to say, there's a different spirit about that guy. And you know, I really think that as Christians, uh, we are called to have a different spirit than what the world has, where the world is uh, consumed with cynicism and negativity and and pessimism and all these other things. I think that as Christians, we got to have a spirit that says, I know God is good. We got to be overflowing with the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, patience, peace, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. Let those things be the defining factors of our lives that wherever we go, that different spirit shines into the darkness knowing that as Christians, we dispel that darkness in Jesus' name. Come on, we need a different spirit as Christians, that when a problem presents itself, we respond differently. We respond with faith. Let's put our faith in God. Let's be filled to overflow with the joy of the Lord. I came across this great saying recently that says, the pessimist says, my cup is half empty. The optimist says, my cup is half full. The psalmist says, my cup overflows. Come on, I love that. I, I, I think that's a great perspective to have in life. That's how I want to live my life, with a cup that overflows. It's not that I'm looking my, at my situation as a pessimist. I'm not looking at my situation as an optimist. I'm looking at my situation as a psalmist, a worshiper of the name of Jesus, recognizing that no matter what, my cup overflows. Overflows with what? Overflows with the Spirit of God. Maybe today your life overflows a lot more with opinions. Maybe it overflows a lot more with worries. Maybe it overflows with doubt or fear, you name it. Come on, let's center ourselves around the name of Jesus. Let's make sure that we're in his word every day. Let's make sure that we're praying, that we worship him every single day, that we engage in spiritual disciplines every single day, that we would get ourselves out of the center of our lives and we would allow God to occupy that space so that whatever comes at us as we are squeezed by the pressures of life, what comes up in our lives and what overflows is God's spirit. Second thing that the hill country will reveal is this. The hill country reveals the depth of your relationships. You know, I'm not like the biggest outdoors kind of person. I don't mind it. It's okay. But, you know, when push comes to shove, uh, for me, I'll take a hotel room over a tent any day of the week. And all God's people said, amen. Come on, praise God. But that doesn't stop me from watching outdoors documentaries on Netflix, okay? And uh, that's how I get my fix. And I was watching a documentary about mountain climbers, and something really fascinating that I learned is that when you're climbing a mountain, you're going over a a glacier or something like this, it's very important that you are tied off in a rope team. And so you're not just going alone by yourself, not tied off, but you're actually tied off to somebody else so that if you should fall, somebody else has got you and you're not just going to fly down the mountain. And in fact, the more people that you're tied off to in this rope team, the safer it is that you actually are. You know, I really think that this shows us that it's, much cl- that it's much safer to climb a mountain 
with someone else. And I think this exact same concept applies to us as we face the challenges of life. We need to ask ourselves, who am I roped off to in life? Who are my people that if I should fall, they've got my back and they're going to pick me up? we got to remember Ecclesiastes 4, verse 9. It says, two are better than one because they have good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. Who are you connected to today? Who are you roped off to today? And by the way, connectedness is different than just knowing a bunch of people. You know, today we, we say we're more connected than ever before, right? I, I, I got a ton of people online that I'm connected to, but are you actually connected to them? Or do you just know them? There's a big difference. When we're connected to somebody, we're there for them and they're there for us. That if they fall, we will be there to pick them up. In fact, I've had people in my life where I've not only fallen, but I've just fallen and I've laid there and I'm so thankful that they have just dragged me along for a season. And I don't know what I would do without those kinds of relationships in my life because we need these life-giving relationships. The truth is that the hill country is difficult terrain. It's not an easy road. Life can be difficult. Life can be painful. It can blindside you. It can be tough. But if we got people around us that are willing to cheer us on, that are willing to pick us up, it makes things so much better. One of the main distinguishing factors between people who experience joy and happiness in life is the depth and the presence of joy-giving relationships. When we live in isolation, we're so much more willing and it's so much more it's so much easier for us to give in to temptation and to give in to sin and discouragement we're more likely to be selfish we're more likely to uh, hoard our money and spend it in greedy ways more likely to give up in the face of a challenge i mean there's been so many times where that has been the case for me but when we surround ourselves with life-giving relationships with people to cheer us on all of a sudden the hill country the rough terrain becomes so much easier to navigate for ourselves you know, a lot of us, the truth is, we stay away from uh, relationships and we stay away from people because we don't want to have to deal with difficult people. You know what I mean? I'm going to be honest. As a pastor, I've felt that. Where it's like, oh, I just, I don't want to deal with difficult people. And I think I've really learned recently that there's no other type of person, okay? There's no such thing as a not difficult person. People are difficult, but even a difficult person can help you become the person that God created you to be. We've all had to deal with difficult people. But we got to remember that people don't create our spirit. People just reveal our spirit. And so guess what? God might send some difficult people in your life to actually reveal your spirit and so that you can be shaped and crafted into the person that he needs you to be. But take heart, friend, because you're the difficult person that he is sending to somebody else's life, okay? We just got to remember that as we go. How do we develop these relationships? I want to say one of the easiest ways that you can develop this kind of relationship is actually to just get involved right here at the City Church. I just want to put that out there. Maybe there's some people, you've just been a consumer of church for so long, I think that it's time that you start becoming a contributor to what God is doing here at the City Church. Join a city team. Get yourself involved. There's room for you to be involved here. you got to know that. Get yourself involved in a city group. There is room for you where there's people that are going to cheer you on and that have your back. You know, I read this thing recently that uh, if somebody goes from being isolated to being in a group of people, they actually decrease their likelihood of death that following year by 50%. I mean, how many people would not say, okay, I can decrease my likelihood of death by 50%. I'm going to take that, right? That's why at Slate Church, we have a new saying that is join a connect group or die, okay? And that's what we're... (laughs) It's, uh, it's working great. Uh, 
But hey, why not ask God to bring about some life-giving relationships and be on the lookout for them? Sometimes they might not come the way that you expect, but I really believe that God has that for you. It takes work. It doesn't pop up overnight. You can't get new old friends. You got to be willing to actually work at it, but the effort is so worth it. Make life-giving relationships a top priority in your life. Third thing that the Hill Country reveals is this. The Hill Country reveals the hope beyond ourselves. I love that Caleb held on to a hope that was bigger than himself. He knew that he couldn't do it on his own. He knew that even his own vigor, it was not enough for what God was calling him to do. He was filled with such a hope because he knew that God would be with him and he knew that God would fulfill the promise. Even when circumstances look terrible, even when hope seems to be sliding away, when your finances are shrinking, when your health is struggling, when the world is going into lockdown, when it feels like it's going back into lockdown, when we don't know what's gonna happen with this pandemic, when 2020 is not what we thought it would be, when 2021, we don't know what that's even gonna be, when we're going crazy and we don't know what is, what, what is happening and it's easy to start to wonder, is anything even going well in life? Is, is there anything good about life? The answer to that question is yes. And you might not be able to believe that for yourself, but I'm going to believe it for you today that yes, there are things in your life that are going well. In fact, the opportunity to trust in God when trusting isn't easy is still a wide open door that you are able to walk through today. You know, the pastor, John Ortberg, he says this, and I love this, and I think it speaks so well to the time that we find ourselves in when things seem to be dark, when things seem to be uh, difficult for us. He says this. The prospect of modeling hope for a hope-needing world is trending upward. The possibility of cultivating a storm-proof faith is going upward. This is so because one thing remains unchanged. God remains sovereign. Grace beats sin. Prayers get heard. The Bible endures. Heaven's mercies spring up new every morning. And the cross still testifies to the power of sacrificial love. The tomb is still empty, and the kingdom that Jesus announced is still expanding without needing to be bailed out by human effort. God is still, come on, let's put our hands together. Amen. God is still in the business of redemption, and he specializes in bringing something very good out of something very difficult. There was a woman, her name was Julian of Norwich, and she's also known as Dame Julian. She actually uh, has wrote the oldest surviving book in the English language that is written by a woman. She wrote it in the 14th century, and she was living in England at a time where the Black Plague was just running rampant. Uh, terrible, terrible pandemic that was just killing people in the streets. People were dropping dead all around her all the time. It seemed like there was no hope, yet she was still filled with hope. And in the midst of all of this death, she wrote this, but all shall be well, and all shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well. He did not say, you shall know no storms, no travails, and no diseases. He said, you shall not be overcome. In this next year, I want to encourage you to allow the hill country, any hardship of life, to reveal the hope that is beyond you, to allow it to point your eyes to Jesus Christ. And we got to remember that hope has a name. It is Jesus. Seek him. Pray to him. Psalm 46, verse 1, it says that God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble.
Now I want to conclude with just one more story today, just before I pray for you. And it's of a, a, a guy who is a, an adrenaline junkie, a thrill seeker. He was uh, an adventurous person, and he went out, and he went exploring in some caves. And he went out not only by himself. He went out with a guide, and they went into these caves. And uh, the idea was to go through and navigate this cave system to get into this inner chamber that was absolutely amazing. It was glorious. It was incredible. It was this wide open expanse underneath the earth. And the guide was leading him, and they were going through this cave system. And uh, as they went through, uh, the tunnel got smaller and smaller. It got to the point where all of a sudden he had to, you know, bend over, and he was sort of like walking uh, with his back bent over in order to navigate this. It kept getting smaller and smaller. All of a sudden, he had to be on his hands and knees, and he was crawling in order to get through. And it kept getting smaller. All of a sudden, he found himself, he had to lie down on his back. At this point, by the way, I'm out, okay? No, thank you. I'm not interested. It's okay. He's on his back, and he's inching himself along. He's pushing himself through the cave. Finally got so bad, he had to turn his face sideways. And the only way that he could inch forward at all was when he took in a breath, and he could just inch himself just a, just a little bit forward, and then he had to do the same thing and just a little bit forward, and he was going, and he was getting so claustrophobic, and eventually, he got to the point where he started freaking out. Even though he was used to adrenaline, he was used to this difficulty, he loved that kind of thing, all of a sudden, he started freaking out, and he realized he passed the point of no return, that he wasn't able to get back the way that he came, and he was going, and he was, he was feeling uh, just pressed in, and that like he couldn't move, and he called to the guy ahead. He said, listen, I'm about to freak out. Okay, as far as I'm concerned, I'm going to die in here. I cannot make it. I can't do this. I am just being crushed by this. There's no way that I can go forward. And the guide who was in front of him said, hey, just calm down. Just listen to my voice. It's going to be okay. I've been here before. I'm going to guide you through. The guide uh, did just that. He guided him through. And they were able to get to the other side and get themselves into this wide open expanse of the cave and enjoy it. How did this guy get through the cave? It was not by struggling. It was not by trying harder. It was not by leaning on his own understanding. It was not by just making it work according to his own strength. The only way that he was able to get through was to put his mind and set his attention on a voice that was uh, greater than his, uh, that had a greater perspective than what he had, by putting his trust in another voice, a hope beyond himself. You know, I really think that this is the same for us, church. I don't know what you're going through right now. I don't know what pressures of life are, are trying to just constrict you, and you've just been trying to make it work according to your own strength. You've just been saying, I'm just gonna grit my teeth, and I'm gonna get myself through. I'm gonna get to the other side. I'm gonna conquer this mountain. I'm gonna go through. Maybe you're at the point right now where you're just saying, I can't do this. I'm gonna give up. I got nothing left. I, this is impossible for me. There is no possible way that I can move forward. I don't know what it is, but I wanna tell you today, set your ears to a voice to a hope that is beyond yourself on the name of Jesus Christ. And I believe that he is calling to you right now and he can get you through. But you gotta place your hope in something different than yourself. Listen to his voice. You know, I know for a lot of us in this room that this has been a difficult year. I know for a lot of us in this room right now that it's been a tough time. And you know what? That's for me as well. It has been such a difficult year in so many ways. You know, when you're learning in Bible college how to be a pastor, whatever, they don't teach you about how to lead through a global pandemic. It's not something that you're used to. And the truth is, it's been a very difficult year. And I have found myself in that place this year where it feels like the pressures of life 
are just crushing me, and I don't know how I'm going to get through. But I know, and I have seen time and time again in my life, where I have focused on the name of Jesus, and he has brought me through. And today, whoever you are, whether you're in this room, whether you're tuning in online, whoever you are, whatever you might be going through, I just want to right now invite you into this hope that we have. His name is Jesus Christ. I'm going to close just by praying and I'm going to pray for two groups of people today. And the first group of people that I want to pray for really quickly is anybody in here and you know you've been following Jesus for a long time. But maybe you've just grown complacent, maybe you you've been trying to make it work in your own strength. I don't know what it might be, but maybe today you're here and you know that you need to say give me the hill country God. And you need to allow whatever struggle, whatever pressures of your life to actually point you towards this hope that's beyond yourself, that you would actually put Jesus at the center of your life, that you would develop some life-giving relationships. If that's you, with every head bowed and eye closed across this room and at home, wherever you might be, I really believe it's a holy moment. Uh, If that's you, I just want you to reach out a hand. I'm just gonna believe right now that as you reach out this hand forward, that this is actually you saying, God, give me the hill country. And I just want to pray for you. And after that, I'm going to pray for some people who maybe have never made a decision to follow Jesus. But this is for those of you who have made that decision. For people, you would say, I am a Christian. But you're saying right now, I need to say, God, give me the hill country in my life. If that's you, would you just stretch out your hand forward? I want to pray for you. Jesus, you see every single hand that is, that is stretched forward. And Father, I just pray right now that even in this day, in this moment, that these people would just have a give me the hill country kind of attitude, that whatever problems they're facing, that whatever pressures of life they're facing, that right now your spirit would fill them. Jesus, that they would just be motivated in this season to just conquer whatever trial, whatever it might be, knowing that you are with them, that they would have an incredible faith, that they would be marked by a different spirit. Jesus, that they would go forward and that they would shine your light as they go and they navigate this rough terrain. Jesus, I'm believing that as they walk out of this place today, they will just be filled with a new kind of faith. In your name, amen. Amen. Next group of people I want to pray for is anybody that's never made a decision to follow Jesus. Again, with every head bowed and eye closed across this room and at home, whenever you're watching, wherever you're watching, I really believe that right now, this is an incredible opportunity that you can make to actually say, I'm going to place Jesus at the center of my life. I don't know what your past looks like. I don't know, but it doesn't discount you from what God wants to do in you. I believe God's got a purpose for you. I believe that God's got a plan for you. And so right now in this moment, I wanna give you an opportunity to respond and say, Jesus, I wanna follow after you. It's that simple. Nobody's looking around. It's not gonna be awkward, nothing like that. You're just making a decision in your heart to say, Jesus, I'm gonna follow you. So I'm gonna count to three. No one's looking around. It's a private moment between you and God. I'm gonna count it. When I get to three, if that's you, I just want you to raise your hand, just as that act of faith, just to say, I'm making this decision, and then I just want to pray for you. It's all across this room and all across uh, wherever you're watching from. That's you, just respond when I get to three. One, Jesus loves you. Two, he's got a purpose for you. Three, if that's you, would you just raise your hand? Amen. Amen. I'm gonna ask you to repeat this prayer after me. And I'm actually gonna ask that all all of us as a church would say this prayer right now. And if you're making that decision, I just want you to pray this from your heart knowing that God is listening and that he loves you. Why don't you repeat this after me? 
Jesus, I invite you into my life. I want to follow after you for all my days. Thank you for giving me a way forward. In your name I pray. Amen. Amen. Come on, can we put our hands together, church, and celebrate what God is doing? Praise God. Thank you for taking the time to listen in. Be sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for other messages. For more content from The City Church or to connect with us, visit us at thecitychurch.ca or find us on Facebook or Instagram at citychurchgta. Thanks again for joining us.